The clouds of economic uncertainty brought on by COVID-19 are shifting with improved prospects for office leasing in Australia as appetite for space rebuilds. While the overall net take-up of offices remained negative at 116,000 square metres in the three months to December 2020, it had contracted less than the previous three quarters of the year in a sign that business sentiment is on the up and that's helped in no doubt by the upcoming vaccine rollout. Perth and Canberra were the only two main cities to record positive net take-up, according to JLL's latest data, with Perth businesses that were once priced out of the CBD now returning and the government fueling Canberra's recovery. In this episode of JLL's Perspectives podcast, Andrew Ballantyne, JLL's Head of Research in Australia, and Tim O'Connor, the Head of Leasing, tell us more about what this all means for the year ahead. I'm Rebecca Kent. So, Andrew, the overall take-up of office space in Australia decreased again at the end of last year, although by a lesser amount than the previous quarters. Uh, Canberra and Perth were different, though, with positive absorption of office space. What's the story behind the numbers here? I would tend to characterise the office markets as being better towards the latter part of 2020, but admitting it's off a low base. Canberra has continued to remain the most resilient of the CBD office markets, and it's very much supported by high occupation from, from the public sector. But we also saw slightly better results in some of the other geographies. A market like Perth recorded positive absorption in Q4, uh, supported by a number of organisations looking to move operations back into the CBD. I think it's important to say where we were through 2020, which was really clouded by uncertainty to where we think we're going to go in 2021. And post the vaccine announcements in early November, we've started to see some of the lead indicators for the office sector start to firm. So if you look at uh, business confidence as measured by National Australia Bank, that's trended higher. And the NZ job advertisement series shows, shows that jobs ads are now higher today than where they were 12 months ago. So while we do believe that 2021 will be challenging from a leasing perspective, I do believe we're trending in the right direction and we will look back at 2020 as essentially the, the bottom of the cycle. Excellent, okay, so that's a pretty upbeat outlook. Tim, what's the nature of inquiries for office space that you're receiving at the moment? Yeah, certainly, and again, just similar to Andrew, if you step back before we go forward, sort of Q2 and Q3 last year, uh, for one of a better analogy, was a real rabbit in the headlights type stuff. People weren't making decisions because everyone was trying to come to terms with exactly what we were facing. Um, you know, and we saw a lot of deals either put on hold or we saw deals completely uh, questioned and tenants, you know, commit to stay, whether it was short term or long term. Really, then into Q4 last year, we saw an improvement in the level of activity. Um, you know, again, we saw some larger pre-commit deals closed, and that's really a, you know, a function of, of time and needing to make those decisions in order for buildings to be delivered. So there's some longer-term decision-making that was made, but we saw a lot more uh, decisions, particularly by organisations and activity by organisations who... Whose decision making is largely based on shore. Now that that's not all situations, uh, and that's certainly translated similarly into the the inquiry in the early part of this year as well. You know, smaller and and it tends to probably focus back on those smaller organisations. And for the sake of a number, 
you know, sort of less than, say, 1,500 square metres. Uh, with decision-making onshore, there's a real motivation by those organisations to get their people back. So that's where we've seen activity. That's where we've seen heads of agreements signed in the early part of the year. But we've, what we've also seen are those larger deals that were put on hold last year um, be reactivated. And I think that really boils down to is people sort of got through the kind of worst of it in the back of sort of Q3 last year. And as we were starting to get a little bit of clarity and a little bit of sense of where things were, it was, okay, the, the year's almost over. We'll, we'll just ride this one out. We'll ride 2020 out. I think as people have come back in the start of 21, um, you've got a whole year in front of us. So I think organisations are, are taking a more practical approach and recognising that, yes, there is a need to make decisions and move forward. Lease extensions were a bit of a feature last year as well. Is that starting to recede a little bit, Tim? Uh, look, I think there's a, it's it's difficult to give a general um, <clears throat> statement on things given the, the size and scale and nature of the market and, and organise the diversity of organisations within it. What's interesting is, one, those organisations that kind of kicked the can down the road and got 12-month extensions last year are very quickly coming up to you know, needing to just make decisions again. And, and some of those have reactivated, as I said in, in the earlier comment around that. So they're back doing things. Um, I think there is still from some, a you know, that short-term nature of it. And if you look at the different industry sectors, you know, aviation, tourism, those sorts, uh, it, the short-term uh, extension or even relocation in some respects actually works for them. Um, because of the uncertain nature of, of the particular industry, whereas others are, are able to take a kind of longer-term view. Um, so I think we're going to see, again, the activity I think we're going to see through that we've already seen and will continue to see will be some of those that, that have put decisions on hold last year. Um, and, and in some circumstances, though, that, that process timeline is, is far more condensed than it would be normally. I think, Tim, when you sort of tease it out, it's essentially the difference between the cyclical and the structural. So all, I don't think there was any organisation that would say they weren't impacted by COVID-19. You know, you've got some organisations where there will be a longer term sort of structural impact on their business. And you talked about the aviation industry. There are other organisations that have been impacted from a cyclical perspective. However, those organisations now see a pathway or a very short pathway back towards pre-crisis revenue and profitability levels. So I think what you're going to have through 21 and, and extending into 22, Tim, is organisations with different motivations and drivers. Some will look to take additional space to facilitate their growth. There'll be other organisations that ultimately look to rationalise their footprint to account for the structural impacts that they've seen on their businesses. But I think what we can both agree on, we're going to see a lot more activity than what we saw over the last 12 months. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, again, that opportunity to, yeah, to, to sort of right size, whatever that may be, and, and particularly a bit of uh, bit of consolidation activity. On the other side, you know, yes, we've got availability of, of good quality stock. So, you know, we tend to see, you know, that flight to quality um, invariably, you know, take place in markets like this. And we've got um, some opportunity for those tenants. And we've seen some of those opportunities taken. Um, most recently, you know, it caused Chambers Westgarth uh, commitment at the end of last year is a, is a good example of that outside of a lease cycle to, you know, to take an opportunity to, I guess, effectively uh, rework their, their workplace. Yep. So what Tim and I are essentially 
articulated is, is, is a K-shaped recovery for vacancies. So those good quality assets where they've got very strong health and, and, and safety and well-being features, where the owners have been very proactive around new initiatives to bring their customers back in, whether that be whether that be yoga, whether that be other classes, whether that be nutrition and diet uh, advice or, or, or expertise uh, versus the older style assets. So we will see, you know, you think of a case shape, we will start to see over the next two years that vacancy for good quality assets will trend lower and increasingly vacancy pressures will be cascaded down towards those lower quality buildings. So we see the potential for a refurbishment cycle as some of those buildings come out of the market and are ultimately repositioned to meet the requirements of modern corporate occupiers. Okay, can we just talk about sublease space? Tim, there's a fair bit of it around at the moment. What are you seeing? Um, is it being filled? Will it continue to come onto the market? Yeah, look, I think it's a really interesting one. If you look at, if you go back to you know, March next year, for, for the sake of a date, um, when this, when we started to feel the impact and as it moved through, um, I guess every CEO of every business or managing director of every business very quickly looked and said, how can we how can we find some cost savings? And cost savings will be through a, a whole range of different facets of the business, but occupancy cost is certainly one of them. So there was, and there's continued to be throughout, you know, 2020 space put to the market as an opportunity to, you know, to reduce some cost. I think it's interesting as we sit here now, and I think we'd all agree from the economy's point of view, and I think the government have done a fantastic job, we're in a better place than what we probably thought we would be. I think what's going to be really interesting, Beck, is how much of that was um, attributed to, um, you know, the impact of the recession and headcount reduction, how much of it has been seen as an opportunistic way to potentially save some cost while people are working from home. And so do we start to see some of the sublease space that's been put to the market actually get withdrawn as people return to the office and that space is needed? Um, or do we, you know, and, and in some segments of the economy, we'll probably see more sublease space come through. It ha there hasn't been a whole lot of, there's been a number of deals done in, in sublease availability. It tends to be, tends to be very binary as to whether people see appeal in it, um, in sublease. You, you know, we, we're seeing organisations and there's a lot of commentary around organisations looking to it, how they incentivise their staff to come back to work and, and new workplace is one of those opportunities. So does that sublease, moving into, you know, sublease space, fitted space, does that solve that? Um, is it the right type of space? And there's a really, if I look across the sublease availability at Sydney CBD, there's a really varied um, you know, range of quality for some very good, relatively new kind of fitted space to some very tired and old space. Um, so I think it's going to be an interesting one to watch, anticipate that we might start to see some organisations not remove all of it, but remove part of that space from the market. Um, and I think we'll start to see some roll off into becoming direct vacancy and that space may be then made good and refurbished. So I think it's, yeah, it's it's a, it, it's an interesting dynamic. It's one that we look at very closely because of the impact it has on the direct vacancy as well and pricing. Um, but I think it's going to be very fluid over 21. And Tim, Canberra has been pretty resilient, largely due to government activity. How would you suggest landlords capitalise on public sector activity across the board? Yeah, look, I think, uh, I mean, there's, you know, 
the the government from certainly from a, a federal point of view a very large occupier of space around the country it, it tends to be considered that they are you know because it's the federal government they're located in canberra and that that isn't only part of the story so yes we certainly see some uh some large government departments around the country that there will be like in any situation an opportunity for them to improve the quality of their workplace potentially um, get greater efficiencies consolidate and certainly from you know a federal government's point of view they will also see that as an opportunity to stimulate you know the the economy itself and and then you look at the same happening at a state level um, so again it, it for you know for owners and investors out there it's it's having product that responds to the needs in the locations and the, the sort of format um, that those government occupiers are looking for and they've certainly been active to date there's certainly been a you know a, a desire to get sort of shovel ready projects going around the country which is great because it has that flow and effect into the economy of creating jobs and, and stimulating things and you know we anticipate that will continue to occur yep. the other good thing about the the federal government in, in particular back is around transparency that every 12 months we have a budget and as part of that they actually state their headcount expectations by departments so they're always an entity which is growing some areas potentially reducing reducing others so you do get a good insight into what their intentions are around headcount and then that ultimately flows through to their their space requirements and as Tim correctly said there's a big multiplier effect through consultants and I think it's looking at where those projects will be announced the impact that that will have on the revenue and headcount for some of the consultants and also orientating and positioning product towards those groups as well. Thanks Andrew uh, and Andrew you spoke about Perth earlier what are the characteristics that have helped Perth buck the national trend here in terms of office vacancy? Look, I mean, I think it's fair to say Perth's vacancy is still is still high relative to a number of the other markets. So it's still got that legacy of higher vacancy. But what we saw in Perth probably around 12, 10 to 12 years ago, there was a number of organisations that were essentially priced out of the Perth CBD and they started to go to emerging suburban markets. What we found is availability has uh, increased in the city. A number of those organizations are saying, actually, for our business moving forward and for our ability to attract and retain people, we actually want to be back in the CBD. So we've seen a number of organizations actually move their operations back to the city, which has obviously been to the, the benefit of the, of, of the Perth CBD over the past 12 to 18 months. Great. Okay. And last question, Andrew, offices are said to be back to about 75% to 80% full again. The Property Council of Australia has launched a campaign to encourage businesses and people back into our main cities. Will our cities ever be the same again? I think CBDs back have been in a state of evolution for a long period of time. So I think around, you know, the PCA's campaign, I think is very good in terms of encouraging people back. And, and it's more around the health and safety aspect, you know, but around what, what building owners have done to make people feel safe when they come back into the, the buildings. I would take it a step back and say a lot of our economic output, especially from the services economy, is generated by CBDs. And I'm a big subscriber to the theory around economies of agglomeration, which is essentially knowledge spillovers 
which 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 drives the economy moving forward. So I'm a big subscriber to CBDs having an important role to play in that. And while we know, you know, the flexibility journey is 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 not new. I think what COVID has done is shone the spotlight on flexibility. And I think what we'll see is organisations think about how their workspace is uh, designed ultimately to provide flexibility, but importantly to provide collaboration space. Because if you think about what drives an organisation forward, to me, it's the new ideas that they create. It's the efficiencies that they gain within their existing processes. And those types of activities are still best done face to face. So I think office will have a very important role to play uh, in terms of actually facilitating that moving forward. And it's interesting, Beck, and I, you, you're always a little nervous about building a whole story around a, a couple of little anecdotes you heard this morning. But I had two younger people in my team who are quite a bit younger than me, and they were both out last night uh, with separate groups of friends. And I said to one of them, what was it like going out on a school night in the middle of the week? And he turned around and said, I've had a year of doing nothing. I'm playing catch up at the moment in terms of catching up with friends, going out and enjoying what the city has to offer. So it's one story, but you're starting to see more of that. The nighttime economy is very much being revitalized as people want that interaction with others and they want the, the great amenity that our CBDs offer around Australia. Yeah, and I'd, I'd add another kind of <laughs> anecdotal proof point on that. Beck, as far as people coming back into the cities, and I've had a couple of meetings with people this week who they're back in for the first time really since March last year. And it's a very odd situation, given that we've been back in the office since May, watching the level of excitement almost from that face-to-face -face human engagement in a meeting situation has been really interesting to watch. And so to me, and you know, similar to Andrew's story, that's only one example or a couple of examples of individuals. But I think there's there's a lot more of that out there, and people really wanting to get that you know that closer level of engagement. Again, a lot was talked about through last year of well, working from home will see a reduction in space. It, it comes back to flexibility, and if you're trying to prescribe the days that people are going to work from home, I think you lose that whole context of flexibility that we had pre-COVID. Um, you know, you do see probably lower footfalls on a Monday and a Friday, interestingly, in the city at the moment, and, and, and a lot more activity Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, which, which sort of speaks to the, you know, the fact that people are taking a more flexible approach on similar days and being in the office on similar days. I think that starts to discount the ability to really reduce, uh, you know, reduce space needs purely off that flexibility piece. Thank you very much, Andrew and Tim, for giving us the current picture on office leasing. We'll count on you for further insights as the year progresses, no doubt. Thanks very much. Thank you. See you later. If you listeners would like to see the data that we've been discussing here, that's JLL's Australian office leasing stats for the fourth quarter of 2020. Just pop on over to jll.com.au.